Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. I have no clue, honestly. I'm still working on that so hard um, because what I thought I would be feeling right now and what I'm feeling are two different things. Um, I thought I would be jumping with joy. I would be so excited, so happy to say, like, we have our person. Um, But then, like, reality kicks in and you're like, if this is our person, those are the last eyes my sister saw. Those are the, the last hands that touched my sister alive. Those are the, like, that's the last person that was with my sister in her final moments. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yes! And today, Tara, well, who do we have on the program? Oh my gosh, we have Kelsey German. Yeah, and so I know that you did a lot of research on this case. Well, I normally do the research for the podcast in general. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So many people on social media are talking about the Delphi murders, right? And I didn't even put two and two together. And then you were telling me, what did you say, that this is bigger than what? It's bigger than the John Benet Ramsey case. I mean, that's that's... Yeah. That's nuts. There's a lot oh. of this online dialogue regarding this case with these armchair detectives and sleuths that are all speculating about what happened. And it makes me really grateful that my case with my mother, my father, didn't happen in the internet age because people are just really cruel and also have a lot of time on their hands. I have no idea how these people have so much time on their hands to go and like think of these crazy theories and just to know that this happened in a small town just like what i grew up in i mean i don't know anyways enough of that for me you know let's let the survivor tell her story what do you think i agree let's let kelsey tell it let's do it So I'm Kelsey German. My sister is Liberty German. Um, she and her best friend Abby were killed in February of 2017. I started advocating for them in 2018 after going to a bunch of like true crime events. And I immersed myself into this community and just started sharing their story. And from there, I just started doing tons of interviews and going to different events where I could share their story with tons of people. Um, And I was able to do that for five and a half years. And we finally got an arrest. So that was exciting. Now I don't have to do that as much anymore. Um, But I've been helping other families along the way. So I'm looking forward to doing that some. Um, And I continue to do this because my sister is my biggest inspiration. She just always has been. And I want to make sure that her light stays out there. She was the smartest person I know, um, the most outgoing and inspirational person I've ever met. She just loved making people happy and making sure they were smiling and having 
a great day. I think one of my like most favorite things that people tell me all the time is that she was always there for them in their worst moment. Um, there was one boy that was um, like a maybe a year younger than her was sitting alone at lunch and he was completely by himself and he didn't have a tray of food. And my family had given her money for the book fair or food or something for that day. And she went up to him and said, hey, I have $5. Would you like this to go buy yourself lunch? And he started sobbing. He was that nobody has ever offered me that. And that's just who she was. She gave the shirt off her back to anybody in need and made sure that they were taken care of even before herself. And that was at maybe 12 years old. Um, so I can't imagine the amazing person she would have become if she were still here today. That's really incredible. Just like that she's touched so many people's hearts and just at such a young age can even just be so kind to other people. That's a beautiful thing to have in a person. And I'm I'm just so sorry that she's not here and that you had to experience that tragedy. Yeah, me too. Now take us through the morning of February 13th, if you don't mind. Yeah, so it was just a day like any other day, really. We had the day off school. We had a snow makeup day, which is like a built-in day in the school calendar where if there isn't too much snow and we don't have that day canceled, like we can have that day off as just a day to stay home. We don't have those too much anymore, but in 2017, we still did. And at that point, we were we were just at home hanging out. Abby had spent the night the night before and they were doing art and watching movies. They stayed up really late that night. Um, so that morning they had been awake before me even, and they were up already outside trying to find something to do because they were getting bored and antsy in the house and it was just so nice out. They wanted to go do something. So Libby came to me and asked me to take them to Highbridge, which is part of our trail system. Um, here in Delphi, there's not too much to do. So a lot of kids would just go out there and take pictures or hang out. It was a very normal place for families to go, especially. So Libby and I had been there a few times. So it was just a place where she could go and they would enjoy the beautiful scenery. It's gorgeous. Um, so I actually told her no. Um, I was uh, going to go to my boyfriend at the time's house and then go to work. So I couldn't take her and go with her. Um, but a little while later, I told her that if she could find a ride home, I would drop her off. Um, and so around one o'clock, I think that was when we were talking about that. And finally around 1.30, we left our house and I took her to the bridge. Um, I dropped her off at, actually it would have been like the trailhead, I guess it's where the bridge starts. And she got out of the car. Um, and we always told each other we loved each other before we left or went anywhere. So um, we just said goodbye, made sure they had jackets in case it got cold. Um, and my dad was supposed to be there to pick them up within like an hour or two. So she wasn't going to be there too long. Um, and then I drove to my boyfriend's house and waited there. And it was around four o'clock. I started getting phone calls from my grandma. We realized something was wrong when she wasn't answering. That wasn't like her. So we all ended up going to the bridge and searching for them. And around 530, that's when we decided it was time to get the police involved. 
I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's just, is that me or? Nope, that's my dog. Oh, He's do downstairs. You have a dog there? I do. Oh. He's downstairs, but. <laughs> I think he's well, down. we love the dogs here. And I think we needed a break to talk about, like, what kind of dog do you have? <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a little light moment. Um, I have an Australian yeah. Shepherd, though. Yeah. Uh-oh. Same. Same. He is my child, like, literally my entire life. Oh, I love the Aussies. <laughs> They're just so great. I know the feeling. They become yeah. the entire world. <laughs> he, he is my entire world, like, completely. Let's see if there's someone downstairs. Like, thank you for sharing that and thank you for taking us through that day. What was it like to kind of be in that moment and like feel like something might have been wrong and then to hear that news later on when you found them? I think at the very beginning, I was angry um, because at four o'clock on February 13th, my sister was not answering her phone and she never didn't answer. So I remember saying like, I'm never taking her anywhere again. She gets no more sweet tea from McDonald's. I'm not driving her and her friends around. Like, it's not happening ever again. Like, she is in so much trouble. And I it just started to get worried more and more as, like, the night went on. I was like, what is going on? Like, she is scared of the dark. It's going to be cold. It's February. Like, she's going to be freezing here in a couple hours, and she's not answering. Like, this isn't like her. Um, So throughout that night it just progressively got worse like something in my gut was saying like this isn't right this isn't what she would do so I kind of got past the anger part and it was all worry um I remember going home that night and just laying in bed none of us slept we didn't know what to do next like like wherever she was I knew that she was not in a place she wanted to be and that scared me like this is the person that had been with me through every single bad thing in our life everything that had ever happened she had been there with me and I wasn't with her so that felt very scary um and then the next morning when they did find her in Abby I remember like kind of blacking out like I didn't know like what was going on I didn't feel like I was in my body like I could see myself falling to the ground um because I knew that if they'd found two bodies, that meant it had to be them. And the way they said it just meant that they probably weren't there anymore. Um, I remember just collapsing into the arms of uh, the woman that was with me. Um, and, and everything after that is still a blur. I don't remember too much of it because it just like went to the back of my mind and I never brought it up again. Yeah, and the brain will kind of lack it you out at times to protect you from actually like you know feeling everything because it's too much for your brain to even process that in that moment and so your brain has to do that and then you will remember it you know years later and whatnot Mm -hmm. so and I've also listened to your interview with Sarah Turney so I've heard you mention that before Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's something that I've really worked on through therapy like I do EMDR therapy now with my therapist and we've been really been working on going back and finding those memories because it's it's something that I need to work on and I know that I just I push it to the back every time even like this week as things were happening I found myself re-remembering things that I didn't realize I had felt at the time 
um, or maybe I didn't feel it fully at the time. So I'm just working through that and trying to trying to remember what I need to work on. And that's been really important for me and my mental health. Absolutely. When I'm hearing you say that, I remember, you know, now Liberty was missing for, they found her the next morning or how long was she? It was, they went to the bridge. We can say they were there about 1.30 on February 13th and they were found around noon on February 14th. So uh, under 24 hours. I mean, I when you're talking about finding out, I mean, I remember for me, when what, who ended up being my foster mother, the foster family, when they told me, you know, they said, Lieutenant Messmore found your mother. And I remember having this moment of like optimism, like even though I knew my mother was murdered, I knew my mother was dead. I knew my father had killed her. And it, but it had been 25 days. And I thought there's just like that glimmer of hope that you're just like okay maybe she was just shopping in a mall and they just randomly found her like and then they said and she was dead and i i you know it's it is that very surreal out of body experience where you're just almost like looking at yourself from afar taking in that information right mm-hmm. and i can completely relate to that did you hear that they had found two bodies and then you found out that it was it was liberty so what was happening was that morning around 7 30 there was a grid search created um so everybody in the community that was volunteering to search was separated into different groups and my group was sent to high bridge and i was in the group that crossed the bridge so not all of us did the bridge was really scary if you're scared of heights you have vertigo anything like i don't recommend it so some of us crossed and some of us didn't so me and i i think i remember four people were with me we crossed the bridge which would have been the direction that abby and libby had gone in um based on like pictures that were taken and posted on libby's snapchat um so we were going in the direction we thought the girls would have been if they were still at the area that we were at or that they were last seen at we were underneath the bridge, um, not too far from from that part that we came down, where where they would have came down the hill. Mm-hmm. And somebody yelled up that there was a shoe found, like under, like in the grass below the bridge. And they asked what kind of shoes the girls were wearing. And I remember the picture of Abby. I wasn't sure what Libby was wearing, but I knew Abby had black Converse on. And if Libby, if it were Libby's shoe, it would have been, I guess, probably some kind of Converse or black Nikes. I'm not sure what the shoe was, but I know it was one of those because shortly after the person that found that shoe used his phone to scan up across the creek. And that's when he found the girls. Um, And so from the time he yelled up, that there was a shoe found to I see two bodies across the creek was maybe a minute. And that's was just like all right there. And since we were at the bridge, I think it was very clear to me right away that it couldn't be anybody else. But I did hope it was. I hoped that maybe out of some random coincidence, two other people were in the woods over there. Um, but the person that was with me even said, like, we don't know it's them. We don't know it's them. And I said, but who else could it be? Like, if it's not them, who else is it? Like, 
they're saying bodies like there's two bodies over there and either way whether it's them or somebody else like that is so scary and so I, I just remember like I had a feeling and then I think I knew that they were gone but I didn't want to believe it and then we got the call um to all go to city hall and that's where um the police told us that they'd found two bodies um and and the bodies weren't identified right away but um I think that they knew that it was them in that moment. What was it like to process everything afterwards and know that there's someone out there that hurt your sister? What was it like to even just like have those feelings afterwards? Did you feel scared at any time that someone might come after your family? I just know in my situation, I felt like after my incident happened with John, I felt like someone else might come out after me. And so I was scared about that. So that's why I asked that. I was terrified because at that point, we didn't know any information. We just knew that foul play was involved. And I really, at the time, didn't understand what that meant. I just knew that somebody had hurt my sister and Abby. But I was so scared that my grandparents had to put a bed in their bedroom. I slept at the end of their bed for months after I couldn't sleep by myself. Um, I wouldn't drive to work. I didn't go back to work for probably six months because I was scared to drive my car into Delphi. I like, I wouldn't even stop and pump gas in my car if it was broad daylight. It just couldn't happen. I was paranoid to the max. Like I was scared somebody was standing behind me watching me or that this guy was standing next to me at the pump next to me like while I was pumping gas uh, or that I was sitting in a restaurant next to him and I had no idea. Um, like I, even to the point where like I went to college and I would be like walking down the street and like I would start sobbing because I was scared that like he was there. So it was really hard to go through all of those um, times where like they, I would get triggered with like an older man standing next to me or like walking by me or sitting on the other end of the bus I would be like that guy is really scary I think I'm just gonna get off and go to the the next bus like I would be late for class to not sit on the same bus as an older man um I relate to that a hundred percent it scared me so yeah, much sure. um and I was I don't know that I was ever worried about like somebody coming after me but um definitely that he was there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I would like tell random old men, like older, like middle-aged men, like go fuck yourself sometimes. <laughs> I would just be like, you're triggering me. Go yeah, fuck yourself. Well, like this, is, this hasn't helped happen recently, but you know, in the past. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of times I felt like it, but, <laughs> but I never actually did that. <laughs> I did it for you. <laughs> so I'm from the Midwest, so I, I'm not really familiar with Delphi, but I'm assuming that Delphi, especially with the, it seems like the speed of which people just sort of converged on wanting to help find Liberty and, and Abby, right? How big of a community is Delphi? I think the last I knew, we were under 3,000 people in Delphi. Oh my God. So even as Carroll County, as like a county, we are under 10,000 people altogether, like very small. So something like this, just I, I would imagine that obviously you are in fear as a young woman in this county, but I'm sure that it must have just completely rocked the community. Absolutely. Everybody came together so quickly. 
Um, I remember talking to our sheriff not long after, and he said, I've never seen gun ownership. Like, it's big in the Midwest anyway, but it shot up so much just in, like, by over 100% within our community. Sure. Um, And we're a community where we leave our doors unlocked, like, our fences unlocked. You can go in the back door if you, like, need to come in and get a cup of sugar, like, we give our neighbors keys to our houses. Like that's where I yep. live. Like that's what we are. Um, and at that point, nobody left their doors unlocked. We were scared to let our kids go to the basketball games by themselves um, because we didn't know where this guy yep. was. We didn't know if this guy was our neighbor um, and he very well could have been. So I think it definitely changed who we are as a community and it brought us together and made us stronger at the same time. And that I think is the double-edged sword, right, of of these situations. And for me, obviously, my perpetrator or my mother's perpetrator, my father was caught because of me and police work. There, there was that was resolved fairly quickly, right? He was arrested mm-hmm. twenty-five days later after they find my mother's body. But I can't imagine, you know, because I grew up also in a very now we were like twenty thousand people and probably thirty, maybe thirty thousand people, like in the entire county. But still, same thing. Neighbors have keys, get a cup of sugar, go in my house, yeah, no problem. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start to see the co- the impacts of violence and the impacts of uh, the consequences. The, the ancillary victims really is what I talk a lot about, is these people that are impacted that aren't you or aren't Abby's family, right? But they're people in the community that now are looking over their shoulder while they're pumping gas, mm-hmm locking their back door which they've never had to do worried about their son, their children going to the park and that i think is the insidious nature of all this now i know today is november 3rd 2022 so it's been a well over five years but i know there's been recent developments that have happened in the last week and a half what were those and i mean and and how long did it take to find this resolution and find this perpetrator or, or, or make this arrest. Yeah, it took us over five and a half years to get any names from law enforcement. Um, for the last five and a half years, we've had no names. We've had two different sketches. We've had audio and video of this man for five and a half years. But on August 28th, um, an arrest was officially made. Obviously, he's innocent until proven guilty because there's not been a conviction yet. But... There is a a man incarcerated who's been charged with two counts of murder and we're waiting for the trial. And he, he did live in our community. He is from this area. He, he could have been standing next to me at a gas pump. So yeah, we, we have an arrest and now we're just waiting for our trial day. What is it like to just have that right now and then to feel that? Like, what is it like to feel that as a family? Because I can't even imagine you can or you cannot think that this guy did or, or, you know, there's so many emotions I feel I would feel. I I, I want to say something really fast just because what you said, I really have to commend you with just saying he's innocent until proven guilty. There are so many people that are listening to this that are the amount of sophistication and restraint that you have in saying that is just really commendable. I just want to say that as someone who knew that my father murdered my mother, but for you to just even have the grace to just go with that, like that is just, it's a really beautiful and rare characteristic, especially nowadays when we're quick to vilify people that you even look at it that way. So I just, I just want to say that just 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, yeah, I commend that also. We have to. But how are you feeling? <laughs> we have to be very careful because we have the we have to protect this with everything we can because we have to make sure we're doing this right. We want a prosecution. We want the right man in prison for life and make sure that we have the right person there because the person that killed Abby and Libby deserves justice. He deserves the consequences that are coming. And to answer your question, how am I feeling? I have no clue, honestly. I'm still working on that so hard um, because what I thought yeah. I would be feeling right now and what I'm feeling are two different things. Um, I thought I would be jumping with joy. I would be so excited, so happy to say, like, we have our person. Um, but then, like, reality kicks in and you're like, if this is our person, those are the last eyes my sister saw. Those are the, the last hands that touched my sister alive. Those are the, like, that's the last person that was with my sister in her final moments. Um, obviously, besides Abby, Abby was there too. But, like, that's that's what's running through your mind when you see this face. But then also, you you are happy. Like, you're like, we finally have an arrest. We have this person. But now you have to wait for a trial. And that could be a waiting game that could last years. Um, so there's just so many emotions. It brings you back to a day that you wish you could forget uh, and almost re-traumatizes yeah. you because you have to go back through every moment and be like, was I was I near this person? Like, was he there? Like, when did I see him? Like, was he at this event? Like, was he around? Um, so you're almost like racking your brain to find a connection that you might never find and waiting for an answer that you might never get. Like, we all want to know why, but will the why ever be enough? Like, no why is ever going to be good enough, and we have to deal with that. So it's just a lot of emotions coming up at once and trying to figure out how to live with possibly never knowing the reason behind why this happened. And that, as someone who's been through that, that is, you know, I, 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 I did a... a Ted talk about this taking your why and turning it into like your what now like how trauma you know leading yourself through action like you've done your advocacy for your sister for Abby you've taken that and moved that forward and to help others and that gives not only purpose and brings a little bit of peace to your sister but also yourself but you come to a point at least what I found you can't you you will search I mean for myself I moved to California from my small town in Ohio to become a filmmaker, to pursue a career, to then have that career so then I can literally enlist an, a two-time Oscar winner to make a documentary so I can literally sit down in front of my father in prison and ask him why he murdered my mother and destroyed so many lives, right? Not only my mother's life, my life, my family's life, but but countless, countless others, right? In the community and everything. And I became very... I became very cognizant of that, that, that that's not really, the, you'll never have that. You'll never get that, that what people think of as closure in the normal sense. Like, oh, well, now you understand. I think ultimately, and this is just my two cents, but you really, the why is, it, it's not, it, it doesn't matter because if they tell you the why, it's not going to matter. It's only going to lead to more questions, right? That's what I found. My father is a, is a psychopath, you know, he, 
he has a story he has it that he believes that he has convinced himself over the last almost 30 years and that's that has become his truth in his mind right and he's just incapable and once i think you realize that part that is the most empowering thing of all of this when you detach from that why and then you use that to then do you know be the light for other people or for your sister or for abby or for whoever and just show that like that you can move on from these things and you're obviously in that process but I think it's, it, it, as an outs, like when outsiders look at it, they're like, oh, there was a arrest made. Okay, now they're going to get justice. Now they're going to, and it just, nowadays it doesn't happen like that. Like you said, you're, you were, it, it's, it's a very commendable. Again, you're like, this could be a, a several years long process. It could be. The way the justice system works, we're post pandemic. There's a lot of, you know, red tape that goes on in these things. And it's, it, a lot of people just do not understand that. <laughs> Yeah, and I've I've learned that over the last couple of days, um, I've learned that all these people that were asking for more information, like like we have an arrest now, and they're still asking for more. Um, but for for us, like we have enough for right now. I think it's nice to be able to process one thing before we know everything, and yeah. to be able to get through this. And I I wish it wasn't a two year long process. I wish that they didn't tell us that and say like you know like. There is a trial date set for March, but it probably isn't going to happen. It's probably going to be maybe two marches from now. And I think looking at that from afar, we're like, man, how does it take that long? Like right now we're grieving again. So we want it to happen right now. We don't want to wait. Um, but we also know that like this has to happen right. And we have to have the right person. We have to make sure that that he is getting charged fully and fairly um so trying to do that while also processing the grief i think is going to be be really really hard um but it's it's a learning process what is it like yeah. to deal with the true crime community because i know that you were at crime con in 2019 i was actually there that year but i just i was off on my own well like i was just you know, not very coherent, co coherently. <laughs> yeah, we'll say the New Orleans, a lot of drinking and stuff. I don't drink anymore, though. <laughs> um, but what has it been it, like in just like going to Crime Con? It's a huge community, but it's like you're a celebrity there. And your case has actually been more researched than John Benet Ramsey's case. And that's crazy. Like, you know, I know John Benny Ramsey because that was a huge case. And so that is, you know, just the awareness and all the advocacy that you've done for it. What has it been like to deal with true crime as a community? It's really a double-edged sword because on on one side, we really needed social media and the media in general here to help us share the story and get it out there. Like, we couldn't do that on our own. So having this community of people that seem to want to help and they get invested in cases and they're, they'll be there for you in that way and they can help share this with their friends and share it with this news media or this station or whatever it may be, that was tremendously helpful for us. We were able to get information out there really quickly um, at all of these events that we would go to. We would still meet people that didn't know about the case 
But we would meet people that did know and they would say, I've shared this with my entire family. I talk about with my mom about it every single day. Um, and also on top of that, that led me to meet all of these really amazing people who had been through similar situations, which I always say I couldn't get through it without them because there is nothing like knowing that there are people there for you. I know in the beginning I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to feel. I don't know who I can talk to because I don't want to talk to my grandparents. Like they're hurting too, but starting to like be able to meet these people who you can talk to and you can have there with you in your hardest moments um, was tremendously helpful. And that support system that I have with them is something unmatched to any other friendship I'll ever have. But then you have the other side of true crime where you have all of these people that take your story and twist your words in a million directions or take your story and find every single little theory they can pull out of it um, and string together their own story out of your story or your sister's story or whoever it might be. And those people will say and do and make content that is very hurtful to you and they just don't care because they're getting a thousand views on this video or more sometimes um, because if it's like videos about me will get hundreds of thousands of views um, just because it has to do with my sister's case and it is so so high profile now so that they these videos are being made every day like I can't stop them from being made and then you have content creators that will find content anywhere they can and share anything whether the family says it's helpful or not um, so it's been a learning curve we've learned boundaries and we've learned how to handle people in the media and we've we've dealt with both sides of it for five and a half years now you know i think that's the most poignant statement is the double-edged sword because you depend on people to spread the word right to help get justice to push it almost pushes it over the edge right but then you have people that weigh in and i think the, I, I think for me the conspiracy theories would be the most difficult you know i i can't imagine that most of the conspiracies that theories that happen around my father's case were started by my father right as a deflection of his guilt and even after he was convicted you know and during his appeals process for years and years and well, decades really but there's it would be very challenging to say the least to listen to people speculate about something and just for conjecture it's kind of sickening so i commend you for not being at least bitter about that and and it's it's very unfortunate. Yeah. And, are you and, on the TikTok? Because <laughs> they on? suck on there. <laughs> well, they're bad on all of them. Ours, our worst is probably Facebook, um, if I'm okay. honest. Twitter can be bad sometimes, but I think I've, I am really good with the block button on Twitter and Instagram. Like, if you say one thing wrong, like, you're out. I don't need you here, um, especially now. I, I just don't need it. And there, it's not helpful. Yeah. Like I don't need your con. I don't need your theories on my page. Like you want to have theories, fine. Like go somewhere else. Like I don't need it in my comment section. Um. Yeah. But Facebook, they create groups that are private, and if Kelsey German yeah. tries to get into these groups, they hit no, or they'll block me from it. So I can't even see the content that's created about me, but other people send it to me. 
So I, I'm constantly seeing these things. I just try not to say too much because I think the more you starve these people, the harder it is for them to get a reaction. They'll, they'll start to go away. And I've seen that a lot lately. I think there's less about me now and more about like random people on the internet, which is not good either, but hopefully those people that they're also speculating about have learned to ignore them too, because unfortunately there's just nothing we can do to stop them. Yeah. If you give them, you know, that's what they want, right? They want your attention. They want attention. You know, and if you just don't give it any energy, I completely agree with that. You give it nothing and then they just go, they go away. <laughs> you know, you starve yeah. them out because they'll find somebody else. Unfortunately, that is, that is the really unfortunate nature of all of this is that there's never any shortage of these types of cases, of cases like this, of conspiracy theories, of, of rabbit holes for people to go down, but of just these cases where where people disappear where people are murdered it's it's horrific but i think you know with when you talk about true crime I, i'm so new to it and it wasn't until honestly when i started talking to tara when i interviewed her on my podcast that i realized like how insidious this whole world is you know then i discovered there's crime con and i'm like wait a minute hold on there's a convention that people go to <laughs> that are true crime fans I, I was I was literally dumbfounded. And you don't get paid, right? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody puts you. Nobody puts you up in a suite in the uh, wherever it was. I can't even remember in Vegas. Paris, were you Paris? Paris or, or something? Bali's. Yeah, Paris. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh. It's all a blur. It's all they're all they all look the same to me. <laughs> to Pretty me. much. <laughs> At least on the inside. Yeah, I just I find like when I think about how everything went down with my case, I mean. This is 25, 26 years ago, right? I guess almost, oh, now 30 years ago. You know, at the time there was no social media. There's no internet even. You know, the speculation, the conversation was was rampant around where I lived, right? And in my bubble, uh, obviously. And I would walk into places and, you know, there's that, there's that kid, there's that kid. You know, do you have that? <laughs> I feel like you. I, I feel like maybe you don't because your community seems so solid Wait, behind sorry, you. Sorry, Collier. What did you do? Because this is a podcast. It was like <laughs> no. That's what I'm saying. The whisper, like the whisper, yeah, like they're no. doing the whispering, like they are whispering. Yeah. But oh, there's a but for people that just have the audio version, like no, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Too. Like so, I would come in to a restaurant or a Walmart or whatever, and they'd be like, "Oh, there's the oh, there's the kid. Oh, there, there he is. Oh, there he, that's that's him." His mom, yeah, his dad. Is that good? That work? Sure. <laughs> but but no, but in seriousness, but I feel like your community was almost like is almost like a fortress. Am I am I right in assuming that? I think when there's nothing happening, it's like that. Um, so a lot of times, like like in the very beginning, I there was a there was a lot of that. Like I would go back to school and people wouldn't talk to me because they didn't know what to say. So they would talk to each other about what they should say to me. Like while they're sitting right next to me, like I can hear you guys like whispering, but those were high schoolers. So I get it. They didn't understand. (laughs) But now it's like, we have an arrest. And so like all this time went by without anything. So people just kind of quit having things to talk about. But of this week, 
that's happening a lot again. Like I'll walk into a restaurant um, like over the last couple of days and you can see like everybody's eyes on me and like, I don't think they're trying to stare and they don't realize that I realize that they're staring, but you can yeah. see it. Like, I know what you guys are doing. It's okay. I know yeah, this you is know what it. everybody's you know talking happening. about. <laughs> so like, just talk to me. Like, let's just have a conversation. Um, but yeah, that doesn't happen all the time. Just when something big happens in the case now. Yeah, I guess, I guess for me, I, I would, I'm very, it, it was, it was out there and I was constantly looked at that way my mm -hmm. entire, you know, young life until I left Ohio. When I go back, it's still the same thing, but I feel like it, it's now when you go into these social media platforms and you see people speculating and talking about, I mean, as Tara said, it's now become bigger than the John Benet Ramsey case, more research than that. I, you know, that's staggering when you think about it. Yeah. And what do you think, do you think there needs to be a safe, like there needs to be safer places? Or do you think that, how do you handle this? How do you process all this with social media? Because as Tara just said, TikTok, and I know she hears a lot of terrible things on TikTok regarding her situation. I'm sure you have too, but like you said, the Facebook groups and people will send you, how do you handle that? Like, how do you process that? What do you do? I definitely think safer places would be good but there just isn't so i just take a lot of time away from social media when i when i feel like it's too much i try not to go in places where i know that they will be speculating um and also i found like settings within social media are so important like twitter just came up with i think it's called twitter circle and carrie rawson just told me about it and you can create like a group pretty much just the people that you only want to see on your page. And that has been super helpful for me uh, or creating like close friends on Instagram and like TikTok. I don't know if there's a whole lot I could do on there, but I just find ways um, to make sure that I'm not seeing those things that I know are going to trigger me. And when there's not a way, like I couldn't figure out for the longest time how to make sure that like random people couldn't DM me and I was seeing it constantly. Um, and that would always trigger me because they would send me like super long paragraphs of a tip that they were, they didn't want to turn in. They wanted me to turn it in, um, which is not helpful because I'm just going to do the same thing that you would do. Like, I'm just going to send it to the tip yeah. line email. Um, so seeing those was really hard because it was just another person that could or could not be our guy. And so I was tired of seeing them. Uh, so I deleted Twitter for a while until I was told that there's a way you can like make it so only people you follow could follow you, could message you. So then I had to go through and unfollow like 2,000 people to make sure that only people I wanted to hear from could message me. Um, so yeah, I just find ways to like stay away from it as much as possible. And when I realize that I need time away or I'm I'm being more triggered by the stuff that's coming at me. Um, I I try to make sure I'm taking breaks and being very careful with my mental health because there have been times where I've let it get to me. Like there was one time like in the picture of Abby crossing the bridge, she's wearing my jacket because she was wearing like a tank top. And I was like, absolutely not. There's too much shade. Um, and in, in high school, like I was one weight and now I'm a different one because that's what happens when you're no longer in high school. And somebody commented on a post and was like, 
there is no way that that jacket fits Abby that well. And like, I was not even having issues with my, it, with my weight at all. Like they were like, there's no way this is Kelsey's jacket. It was my jacket. It did fit me. Thank you for reminding me about the weight that you gain after high school. Um, I wasn't even having that issue. Um, but it just like hit me so hard that I'm putting myself out there for my sister and like people are like actually judging me for like things that have nothing to do with the case. Um, so after that, I just learned, I learned boundaries a lot. Well, and I also have to point out too, that after trauma, it's very common to actually gain weight because you are dealing with a lot of stress and so you have high cortisol levels and so there's a lot of inflammation in your body and then we're taught to like crave sweets and all this you know stuff and breads and all this comfort food and so it's very common to gain weight after trauma and also you are your hormone levels change as well so it like my mom and I we gained a 35 pounds after the John stuff happened and you know it takes a while to sort through like trauma like affects you majorly in your hormones too yeah and we shouldn't have to be reminded of those things well she was in high school and now you're you're becoming a young adult and you're going to gain weight because you're not a child (laughs) yeah I'm not like playing sports and like all the things are not the same yes and Uh, yeah you get boobs too yeah. after high school and a butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like, you know, when you're like a little girl, you like, you're a little girl and then you change. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Collier. <laughs> I am having a hard time relating to this, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> so obviously you, you maintain your mental health. You get into a regimen, you keep yourself away, you keep your circle close. And, and who are some other creators that you, that you know? I mean, I know you know Sarah Turney. I'm, I'm, I know that you guys are great friends. Who are some other people that you feel like are, are people that you can talk to that have been through similar circumstances? There are quite a few. Some of the ones that I talk to the most, obviously Sarah and me are probably the closest, um, but I talked to Michelle Cruz, who is the sister of the last victim of the Golden State Killer. She was probably one of my first friends in this community. So her and all of the sister survivors have been there for me through all of this. Um, they are really great. Um, but then also Julie Murray. Um, and we have become pretty close recently. So those are probably my my main three that I go to, as well as Carrie Rawson, who is uh, Dennis Raider's daughter she's wrote a book i believe it just came out right or is yeah coming out? she did yep and she she's writing another one well and it's so good to connect with other survivors as well because i feel like there's an understanding on a different level where it's like and then we kind of have i don't know if you have this but like a mess that sense of humor at sometimes where there's like jokes where we can make but like others can't really make yeah. about us uh, yeah <laughs> i think your sense of humor is what keeps you sane in all of this yeah, you have to find like like the bright side of this sometimes, which my family sometimes hates. They're like, there's no bright side of this. And I'm like, yeah, but I am putting myself in this community like way like way more than they do just because I'm able to do like, social media. Like they could never figure out this microphone. They would have been like, uh, I can just put in some like <laughs> AirPods and like sit really close to the screen. Like if you watch some of the interviews my grandparents did during COVID, like, oh my gosh, I'm like, oh, they learned how to do Zoom without me and their face is like all the way up to the screen. And 
it didn't work for them. So I do all of that. I love it. And so they don't see as much of this as I do. So there has to be like, yeah, like some glimmer of light <laughs> within it. And sometimes that is your sense of humor or whatever it may be. It's just, you have to find it somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, who's that? <laughs> There's a dog. <laughs> she let both of them in. <laughs> Oh, I just lost my little girl the other day. He lost his little 17-year-old chihuahua. Oh, I'm sorry. I would be a mess. I remember yeah. when Tara lost her dog, I was like, oh, Gosh. I have to message her because I, I cried for her. I was like, I can't do it. If Oliver died, I would be like, I couldn't handle yeah. it. It was such a blessing in disguise for me because Cash has been through so much with me that his time on this planet like has just been him like taking care of me and making sure that he's my protector and like taking care of the hell that I've been through you know so I Mm -hmm. was happy in a sense that he is now somewhere where he doesn't have to do that and he's just living his best life you know yeah and then when I got Dixon it's like a different vibe. It's like that dog, Dixon. I mean, Dixon does have to take care of me at sometimes. <laughs> he actually will come and sit on me and regulate my nervous system. Um, call your scene mm-hmm. it a few times. <laughs> uh. But it's just a different, like this dog is so happy. And this dog doesn't mm-hmm. have the trauma that Cash and I had, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that, like, I'm super grateful for that. Ollie, Ollie has been with me through all of this too. I think I got him in 2019, so two years after. Um, so he okay. has been. I've always called him my gift from Libby, which is is where he got his name. But that's a whole different story. But he, I actually had a dream of my sister. Um, like maybe in January before I had even decided to get a puppy, like way before, and it was of me and Libby on the beach and we were sitting in these two chairs and like a black dog ran out in front of me and the waves they just kept coming and they kept getting bigger and bigger and this dog was like up by the waves and the waves took hold of him and like dragged him out into the water and I was terrified I was so scared I stood up and I said Libby are we gonna go save him like he's out in the water like we have to go get him And she just looked at me and smiled and said, it's going to be okay. And then I got Oliver like three months later and he looked exactly like the dog in my dream. And I don't know why I remember that dream so vividly, but I can see her face still. I can still see the dogs. I still see the waves. I can see the entire thing like, like a movie, like in front of me. And so he's just been, he's always just been my gift from her because I just, I know that that was her showing me him and also telling me that it was going to be okay. So I love that. Dogs are very important. I believe all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They definitely do. Like I, there's nowhere else for them to go. Like I feel like dogs are better than people most of the time. Like I love, I have the best therapist. 100%. She is great. But my dog has heard more of me crying and like been there for me more than any therapist or any person ever will be able yeah. to be there for me. They don't care like what you're saying or what you're going through, but they like sit there and like wag their little nub or if they have a tail, they have wag their tail, but all he does not. <laughs> so he just wiggles his butt. <laughs> they do like the whole body shake. Yeah. Like the whole thing, he just keeps going. We call him wiggle butt. Oh, <laughs> I 
Oh my god. Okay, oh. I feel like this is gonna. I'm. We have. We could talk about dogs forever. Um. I so know, I'm gonna, gonna definitely. Yeah. I'm gonna have I to voice gonna... message you this. <laughs> Thank you so much for for talking to us. I'm so sorry for what you've been through, but I'm so glad that there has been such a breakthrough for you guys, and and you're on your road. You know, on the way to the next chapter of all of this. And hopefully that leads to some more closure for you and your family. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, and just like so thankful to connect with you as another survivor. We're all part of a of a club that we don't want to be a part of, but we're all part of the survivor squad. <laughs> yeah. Where can we find you on social media, everything? And where can we go to help the case? Because I know that you have a call to action right now. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on any social media platform um under at liberty g underscore sister um i did share a petition today so if you go in and sign that that'll just make sure that the probable cause affidavit stays sealed we're going to try to take that into the court and make sure that that all stays close to the vest for our investigators um so you can go there um but also on the abby and libby memorial park site that always is updated with information about the park about the case all things Abby and Libby will be in any of those locations. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I think that people really need to stay in their own lane. They really do. This they is not of anyone's business. You know, at the time of this podcast, I'm hoping that there is no more petition that it got fulfilled. But I know that people, you know, she is trying to get a petition filled for, for a gag order to basically not let the evidence go public and the police yeah. reports and you know everything that I was reading afterwards was this acrimonious chatter that goes on on the on the reddit forums and on the Twitter and in the Twitter sphere but this is none of anyone's business the, the criminal defense team the person who has been accused of this crime will have access to all the paperwork and all the data and all the evidence they need. The public doesn't need that. The need, the media has already made a circus out of this for the last five years. They don't need more fodder. Yeah, I agree. And I just think, I, I, you know, again, people got to stay in their lane. And that's why I feel this podcast is so important because we're giving a platform to survivors. Yeah. And I feel like that is one of the things that I really enjoyed when I started speaking my story is that you're able to tell your own story. People will think of things that are false and people will make up stuff and people will even make up who you are as a person. So I think it's really important to support the survivor, stay in your own lane, sign the petition and just send out that good energy. All this acrimonious chatter on the Twitter sphere and on the Reddit forums, it's all just it's 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 all just conjecture. It's tabloid conjecture and it doesn't help anything. A hundred percent. But anyways. See you soon, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright, Collier Landry.